0: Hello and welcome to episode number 11 of the Comics Corner with me, Harry, and Connor. Hello. And today I'm your host because returning at great popular request is part two of Berserk, where we'll be covering the Conviction arc, which takes in the Lost Children, Binding Chain, and Birth Ceremony chapter. And I just want to say as well that it is returning new and improved with our gorgeous background, which our editor Jack has very kindly made up for us. And it is looking rather tasty. That's yeah,
1: it. yeah. He's he's even decided to animate the brand of sacrifice in the middle, as you'll see in the wide shot. Yeah, the he wide ed- shot is it's in. So, thanks very much. Yeah. So we thought we would return to this because
0: Berserk was one a very popular first video uh, that we did, and also just an excellent story that I wanted to carry on, and I've been reading in my own spare time, and I think it has been worthwhile to do so because obviously. In the first episode we did, you struggled a bit with different parts of the story, understandably so, because Berserk is known as a very difficult story to get through. It's a horror manga, as well as medieval fantasy and just outright high fantasy and low fantasy, at times it mixes all of these bits together. But when it goes horror, it goes really horrific. The sort of thing that you wouldn't see generally in the West, depicted as brutally and blatantly as it does. So you struggled with parts of it, you enjoyed parts of it, but when you were reading this particular story for in, in the run-up to this, at first, obviously, Lost Children, you found similarly difficult. And then as it was moving on and on and on, you were like, hold on, this is starting to pick up. Before By the end of the conviction arc, when he's going to birth ceremony and you reach some of the absolute heights of what i can only describe as pure epicness (laughs) at the end of this particular arc i was getting messages from kind of oh my god this just happened oh this is so cool sending me pictures of the illustrations going holy god i can't believe this just happened so yeah i did let uh, out a jason momoa yeah yeah,"
1: a few times yeah Um, that
0: was really honestly fantastic to see and i think there's a lot to talk about in this arc in particular because like the golden age the there's a a thread running through it because you can see these stories as lost children as its own individual story and then finding chain and birth ceremony bringing up a greater story which is where the tower of conviction comes into it um but i think there's a, a running thread throughout all of these which is guts clearly and his relationships and his own internal character and how he wants to go out into the world will he remain the loner who has the beast of darkness, as they give physical manifestation to in the story, will that consume him? Will he allow that to consume him, given that he just wants to be on his own? Or will he allow the light of other people to come into him to try and dispel some of that darkness and help to ease his burdens?
1: My experience so far has been that the narrative has been one of peaks and troughs obviously black swordsman starts out relentlessly nihilistic up until you meet the five fingers of the god hand and you see guts on the verge of weeping having saved the daughter of the count Theresia, yeah the count and and that's where it goes into the the peak of the storytelling and i still think it's better than conviction which is golden age the the elongated period where you see guts coming of age bonding with the the other members of the oh my god why am I forgetting band of the hawk band of the hawk that's it I was thinking falcon that's that's because it's Griffith. Um, and then it hits eclipse and and as I think lots of people weirdly sympathized with in the everybody's conversation everybody's heart broke at once well I I just found eclipse very difficult to read yeah and, and look at and, and I expected... as we discussed
0: Mura found it difficult to write and illustrate but he did it anyway because he knew that this was kind of logically where the story had to go and he'd already. This might be something to do with what we talk about in a moment, chapter 83. Why he doesn't want to, well, didn't, because of course he passed away sadly in 2021. Why he didn't want to pin himself down as much, because the events that he created in Black Swordsman arc logically have to point to one direction, which is the eclipse. And it's an epic moment. It's a tragic moment. It's like one of the peak tragedies that you could ever expect in a Greek tragedy. But. He said that it was very difficult for him to write and very, very difficult. He became depressed after writing it. And so I imagine that with certain things that he's done since then, there's one particular chapter we'll discuss that he has since retconned and said isn't canon anymore and isn't included in these. I can understand why he wouldn't want to pin himself down to particular
1: narrative threads as heavily. I expected lots more people in our first discussion in the comments to me up on crybaby sensibilities, but actually they said, yeah, I was just depressed reading it, mate. So that's fair. And and my criticism of Lost Children is that it elongates that lull and puts Guts back in that jarring position of being apathetic to the suffering of children. Something we'll go through. But then in the Conviction arc, you see that upswing back towards moral restitution with his reunion with Casca. Spoilers, everyone, of course, but you should have already read it. And so it goes into what I believe will be, will be next. We're not discussing this time is Millennium of the Falcon on a high moral level for guts, but with the looming threat of Griffith coming back in.
0: I've not yet read all of Millennium of the Falcon, but what I can say is that in the beginning of that he is still struggling because obviously purely the events of conviction aren't enough to take away the years of trauma and suffering that he's been through before that event. But he is still on that upswing trying to learn to integrate with other people and uh, to dispel the darkness within him, or at least manifest it and control it in a way that's more productive and less destructive. Because you bring up a great point, which is that, yeah, Guts is back to Black Swordsman's Guts at the beginning of this, because we go through all of the Golden Age, we see the person that he used to be, the connections and relationships that he built that built him up into a more a fully realized and more fully contented human being. And then we've got to remember going back into Lost Children. And I imagine this was very jarring for people who had been following it along for years and mainly knew it as the golden age story and thought of the Black Swordsman as this weird little prologue to it. No, but that is a necessary part of the story because when we return to this, we've got to remember that Guts has just come back from his adventures with the Count, which was just another traumatic experience all around for him and getting this close to Griffith, the pure object of his desires, as well as the rest of the godhand and realizing that despite his strength, despite his willpower, despite everything that he sacrificed up to that point, that he is completely powerless in their, in their midst. Like he can't even get close to Griffith because of the pain that it gives the brand of sacrifice that's marked in his neck. He can just flick him away without even getting close to him. So, of course, he's going to be a little bit bummed out by that. And now, as well, he's got an annoying pixie elf thing following him around everywhere. And I will say that I, the, I, I like Puck now. I forgot that I enjoy, I enjoy Puck. I know
1: he's a bit Marmite and not everybody's going to like Puck, but I like him. They, they expanded the supporting cast to earn my forgiveness in Conviction Arc. So, Puck being quite annoying in Lost Children was offset by the fact that they added my trad wife and- uh,
0: Yeah, Yeah, there you go. He is also necessary because he's part of, he, he's the one throughout Lost Children who is constantly trying to nudge, along with Jill, one of the, the primary characters, he's the one who's constantly trying to nudge Guts back onto a path of redemption, or at least one that isn't so relentlessly grim. And there is, we'll get to it, but there is a particular image from that volume in particular, volume five of the deluxe, the beautiful deluxe editions, where Guts realizes that he's going to have the opportunity to just kill a lot of demons. And it's a very notorious image where he has the evil grin on his face. And it's simultaneously badass and also completely terrifying because you shouldn't be that thrilled purely at the thought of being able to kill something because that's what he is doing there. He's going to relish in it. And once again, this is guts at his most nihilistic. But to get into the story, so we're introduced at first for the first time to the Holy Iron Chain Knights, led by Connor's uh, one and only Miss Farnese, Lady Farnese, a member of the I think they're called the Vandaminian family from the Holy City. They are on. They are the ceremonial army force of the um, of the Holy See, who uh are the uh, based in the holy city and they seemed very much to just be like mostly a one-for-one for for the vatican and the catholic church
1: she's a blonde trad calf with daddy issues many such
0: and she's a complete larper who actually doesn't believe anything that she says she does total sexual degenerate yeah yeah never known any like that yeah just connor's type really many such cases Um. So we're introduced to, to them right after the eclipse and then we get the fla- um, it's kind of a flashback and then we jump straight into Lost Children. But the world is starting, everybody saw the eclipse happen and everybody wondered what it meant. And so they were sent out to try and investigate the circumstance of why that was and they come across the remains of the Band of the Hawk in the, in the large pool of water that the eclipse occurred in and you just got blood and guts everywhere and they... For the rest of the story, until they finally meet with Guts, are on Guts's trail because they're following these tales of the black swordsman, the man, who wherever they go, there's been supernatural events that they've heard from the locals, and there's always a pile of corpses. We can presume as well that in their travels, they found the Count and what happened to the, the city the Count was in. I don't think they ever mention exactly what the name of that place is, but they probably find the weird serpent guy from the very first tale. They find the remains of the count, and they probably spoke to Theresia, found that she'd just been completely traumatized by the entire situation. And this is where they first find... So they're assuming that Guts is some brutal murderer who probably doesn't... They don't necessarily think he has supernatural abilities, uh, but they think that because of how terrifying and fearsome he is, or perhaps he exists as the leader of a band, that people are exaggerating the story somewhat. Because magic was reintroduced for the most part into the world by the eclipse, it seems. It's something that only started to come back. I think it's the night, of, um, the night of festivities when all of the demons begin and the apostles begin to return for the sake of being in attendance at the eclipse. This world, despite the fact that you have this gigantic religious establishment of the holy See that say that they believe in all of these supernatural things, because realistically, that's what gods and spirits are, they are something supernatural outside of our perceived existence. They don't really, for the most part, because they've been so disconnected from it. I mean, Puck speaks about it later on when they meet up with Farnese, but he being an elf is a supernatural being. And he says that when you go to the large cities, like the holy city where he says that he's been, and you go to these large cathedrals, people can't perceive him because they can't perceive the magic in the world around them anymore the way that they used to. He says, you don't get that problem if you go to the villages. Normally, people working at rural churches, priests in these little villages can perceive him just fine. But the fact that these larger religious establishments are more bureaucratized, you could say, they've taken the spiritual humanity out of it. And that seems to be reflective of the rest of the world. But now the magic is being reintroduced and people just can't handle it.
1: Yeah, I so I have some thoughts on this. What yep. you're describing is essentially what C.S. Lewis said about an abolition of man, of where if you hollow out the sensibilities, uh the, the religious convictions, the, the metaphysical tethers that people have across generations, and you create generations of chestless men for whom religious identity is either a skin suit or it's an antiquated ideal, or it's just a prophecy abstracted that they then encounter the knights of the holy See when they stumble across the aftermath of the eclipse and and the myth making that is engaged with guts is because they spend two years pursuing him only ever picking up elements of his trail while the demons are uh, re-emerging into the world and i think the reason the demons can re-emerge into the world and this is this is something that i believe was the pope's lead exorcist but he released an autobiography um, and, and a book on exorcisms with Ignatius Press. And I had a flick through. It's very interesting reading. And one of the things that he says is that habitual vice puts you in a spiritually impoverished position that makes you an empty vessel prime for demonic possession. Mm. So it suppresses the power of your soul and it, it makes it so that a demon can just inhabit your body. And though even though you're not- And we see a lot of that throughout this
0: story. And there are some who can struggle against it, like Guts almost gets possessed a number of times and struggles against it. But most people just, second the demon comes near them, they get possessed. Yeah, and
1: if the cultural suppositions of the world are metaphysically and morally bereft, then that means the demons have fertile soil from which to emerge. And even though it is not your fault, if you do something while under the influence of demonic possession, like a murder or, a, or rape, for example, it is your fault for having been habitually in the position where you've exercised vice and, and a deficit of virtue to the extent of where you are prime for that possession. And that is something that the Holy See are at fault for here, because, and this is Lady Farnese's major flaw, a lot of her convictions, this is why she can't perceive puck. This is why she's in um, the ability to be possessed later on uh, when she approaches Guts naked and, and up oh, for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, again, many such cases. Uh, this one has been there before. This is her fault (laughs) because she doesn't truly believe the things that she stands for. And she's essentially a careerist going off of the legacy of her dad to to fulfill Mm -hmm. that in her rights. So the world is She's going through all of the motions.
0: She even whips herself on her back so that she can pretend that I'm just prostrating myself for the sake of, oh, I've been so bad. I need punishment. I'm definitely... Definitely not enjoying this. But I can geez, help you out with that, sweetheart. She's definitely enjoying it.
1: But this is this is the great irony of guts, and this is what positions these two guts and Griffith as the parallel great men of history. Something that, mm. something that you said off air is that guts—he's almost uh, embodying the alchemical dictum of "from filth it, it will be found." He's born of a of a, a bloated corpse. He is assaulted as a child. He has all his walls up. He is very nihilistic, and gradually he is reclaiming that noble warrior spirit from the depths of a broken culture and, and a broken home, whereas Griffith in the inverse looks perfect and is gradually falling throughout the the golden age arc and becomes the the chief disciple of the dark God that's that's in the forgotten chapter. Um, he is a great man in that he is of epochal prominence, but he's morally corrupted and he will plunge the rest of the world into darkness. So you have these antagonistic forces and those forces can only war in a culture and a world who has not picked a side, and, and that is what Farnese embodies.
0: Okay, seeing as you've mentioned the two great men of history, shall we talk a little bit about Chapter eighty-three, Andy? the chapter that Mura has since deci- well, had since decided he didn't want reprinted. He didn't want to be considered canon because it tied him down a little bit too much to events that might have to happen later on in the story. But I do think still does in Im- um, it, like it, it informs some of the rest of the story. As we see it, and as far as I'm aware from what I've read going forward and from what I've seen other people discuss online, nothing in the rest of the story really contradicts it. And we know that the idea of evil, that being the god that Griffith meets while he's going through the eclipse, is still canon because we do see a brief glimpse of it at the end of the chapter. Because there's the chapter where he's seeing everything that he had sacrificed up until that point so that he would be able to achieve the greatness. That he does, and he's um, s- uh, swirling through the darkness and the feelings and the thoughts of the masses. And then he comes across what looks like a giant band of flesh. And it was the chapter immediately after that where you see what that was and you see the discussion in chapter 83 that Mura later decided, no, I don't want this. But we read it anyway because, sorry, Mura, it sounded really interesting. And also, once again, if it doesn't contradict, I thought it would inform people. I've seen some people talk about this chapter as though, oh, you know, all it does is really confirm things that we already knew, but I think, um, so it doesn't really matter. I don't know why he decided to make it non-canon. I think I do, because it's not just the discussion that Griffith has in that situation with the idea of evil that's informative. It's also the visuals that are shown I think because we find that the idea of evil is what looks like a gigantic heart with valves taking in the swirling thoughts and feelings. And we see that the swirl that it's in is the same swirl that they end up in at the end of the Black Swordsman arc. So that connects all the way back to there. And we, find, we must assume that at the end of the Black Swordsman arc, that's the realm that they were in while Guts was trying to confront Griffith and the rest of the God Hand. But also, I think something very, very important is that you've got to notice that this giant heart has two spiraling helixes going down off of the base of the heart into the rest of the swirl. And the Holy See and their idol that they worship is the hawk with what's coming off of the end of that, a swirling double helix going on underneath it. And so I think that this is an obvious and clear visual indication that these two things are connected. Either that the Holy See has misinterpreted what they are worshipping, and we do know that they are worshipping something that is real because they do have prophecies that line up. That's one of the reasons that the Holy Iron Chain Knights are after Guts in the first place, is because there has been a prophecy foretold that there will be, I think it's the um, hawk of darkness or the wolf of darkness, whatever they refer I have it here, to it as I, Guts.
1: So it is, the angel is the hawk of darkness, the yeah. master of the sinful black sheep, the king of the blind white sheep. And he shall call down upon the world an age of darkness. That's it. Yeah, they think that they're following after the
0: hawk of darkness being Guts and the hawk of light, because later on you get the dream at the beginning of the birth ceremony that everybody gets at the same time throughout all of Midland and throughout all the lands that we see where they all get the same dream of the hawk of light. Everybody assumes that that's Griffith. But Griffith was only given that power through the idea of evil, which should be the inverse of what it is that they're referring to. So it could be perhaps that this prophecy, they've misinterpreted it and got it the wrong way around. And Guts is actually the hawk of light, even though he would not appear to be so to most people. But I think it suggests two things, because the image that you see of the idea of evil, the, the double helix is spiraling off into the distance and you don't see what's at the other end of it perhaps what's at the other end of it, if it does have a separate end, is the God that the Holy See are worshiping, which would be the idea of goodness, the idea of light, because they would be two, uh, two different ends of a single spectrum, one of goodness and kindness, one of evil and darkness and malevolence. Or, I think, and this would be very interesting because what the what the idea of evil tells Griffith is that he was manifested purely through the desire and necessity of people to have a reason for the suffering and the nihilism and the careless disasters that visit them in all of their lives, which is very interesting that the idea is that there is some spiritual dimension that has all of their spirits and feelings and souls in it, but that uses them to manifest itself as its own God. So they create their own God. Very almost Nietzschean in the, the idea of the mass man creates what the mass man experiences. And thus, the idea of evil explains that it created Griffith to be some kind of leader for the mass man, for the people going into to, to like, not even necessarily to do anything in particular, because it explicitly tells Griffith, do as you will, which is very interesting.
1: Yeah, so I, I wish you'd kept this in because I actually think it really enriches the cosmology. and it... Oh, sorry, can I, can I just, j- just
0: finish before you go any further? So I just want to be clear. So what I think could be the other answer is that essentially, if you're going through the idea of cyclical history, which we have been exploring recently, the age of iron, the age of man, as the people in the berserk universe existed for a long time is ending and we're entering a new age of magic you could call it a new age of heroes if you wanted to and perhaps it is that going by cyclical history because humanity cannot deal with that they have created their own caesar figure to bring them into this new world and guide them into a better world and guide them and that would be what griffith is Griffith is the hero to be embodied as chosen by the people, by the peasants, by the desires of those who are suffering. There's Guts opposite to that. And why it is that Guts? Because it seems to be that there's a lot of determinism going on within this universe. The idea of evil will something because it's the will of the people, and then it happens. Guts is the exact opposite of that. Guts is the stoic man by and for himself. He exists outside of the chain of causality, even though he once was part of it and has managed to separate himself from that through pure, sheer strength of determination. He wasn't supposed to be alive. He should have been dead. He was born from a corpse. He constantly goes off on his own. He has problems with just abandoning people because he's willful and stubborn and is unwilling to go with the desires of those around him. He is the opposite of the mass man. He is the pure essence of not atomized necessarily, but the strong and remarkable individual, which is why he both formed such a strong relationship with Griffith, because they're two sides of the same coin, but why he has to be opposite to him.
1: Yeah. So I I think the chapter really enriches the cosmology in, in multiple ways. I believe that Mura probably intended the idea to be that the Holy See have misinterpreted the prophecy. That would be my bet. However, I do like the fact that they connect and they're symbiotic. And so they exist antagonistically with the hawk flying upwards to battle the bleeding heart, which drips downwards. And I like the actual positioning of these rather than the devil being at the bottom and God being at the top here. Because it shows that in human nature, if this realm of the dark God is created by human desires, I can't remember exactly which theologian said it, but he conceptualized evil as uh, what arises from the absence of good, like this culture so the mm. demons can reemerge from, from that fertile soil. If this realm is created by falling afoul of the line between good and evil that runs through the heart of every man, then actually that is the natural state. And instead from a bottom-up conscious exertion of the good, you have to fly upwards and try and transcend that. So you have to move from the telluric world of pleasures upwards towards the transcendent and 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 invert that that dichotomy and i like the the connection to cyclical history because i think that the fact that this has become prophecy and a bureaucratized system of self-empowerment off of superstition despite it being legitimate is similar to vico's idea of the age of bar- barbarism where the lightning struck and you interpreted that as a prophecy and that spirit that animating sublime principle is what drives you to create a civilization and even though it is superstition and it's not properly understood and and we might chastise it as being backwards or barbaric it is the the spiritual bedrock that built great civilizations and falling away from that from the generations impairs your ability to properly interpret that through myth because it becomes too literal or it becomes institutionalized. And that's what falls you into this era of complacency where the lords and and the feudal masters and the kings are incestuous and predatory, as we keep seeing throughout this book. Yeah. And that is the fertile soil from which demons can return. And so it takes that person, that that almost like that child of winter, that, that Guts definitely is, literally born of a corpse, to revivify that spirit by slaying the demons that have come into this time and place and seed for him, um, Lots of, the, lots of the younger kids that are in this story that look up to him are inspired by him, even though he's brutal. Uh, like the girl in Lost Children arc, who he doesn't take with her, but she's inspired to revitalize her community. Chill, yeah. Yeah, just by guts clearing the field and allowing the children of spring to make civilization better. And I, I, I really like that. And I, I wish that he'd kept that in to, to cement that theory um, more explicitly.
0: Yeah, once again, as far as I can tell from what I've seen, Nothing in the story following it contradicts it. And we know because of the glimpse we see in the chapter that he did leave in, that it still exists within the universe.
1: But it was, just wasn't reprinted. So yeah. until you sent it to me, I hadn't read it.
0: Yeah, no, so I- would just been going through the, through the volume. I've, I've got to say, I forget who it was, but I wasn't aware that there was this lost chapter until we did our first video. And somebody in the comments had made me aware of it. And I only just decided to read it in the last week in preparation for this. So whoever that was, thank you very much. You probably know who you are, so give yourself a pat on the back for that one. Uh, But interestingly enough, if we're talking about the idea of the great man of history as well, being sort of a, Griffith being sort of a Caesar figure, um, it, it does quite neatly tie in with other great men who have been the Caesars of the past because Griffith isn't a good person and you don't need to be a good person to be a great man, someone who can go out and achieve things because Griffith, as we know, was more than willing for the sake of his own, not well being, but his own legacy and his own ability to achieve that greatness. He was happy and willing to sacrifice the lives of everybody who had forged a personal connection with him. And even could, sort of in preparation for that, had already made sure to maintain a particular distance to everybody who was under him in the Band of Hawk in the first place.
1: He runs across a bridge of corpses in pursuit of his dream.
0: Yeah. So we know that he's willing to do that. And that's why Guts was always the one who was a bit of a problem for him. Because Guts, being who he is, being this individual outside of nature, this kind of inhuman force of iron will, is the one person who's able to derail him from the path that destiny had set him on in the first place. Because once again, the idea of evil says, you were chosen because you had all of the characteristics that were necessary to become you.
1: He manipulated the conflagration of forces to center on this one specific person in that time, place, and culture. And then from there, he says, and do as thou wilt, which is the, the phrase that's often attributed to Satan by Alistair Crowley. But of course, that's very deceptive. Because if Griffith has been created by these concentrated conditions by a dark and malevolent will that he didn't see until he went along the path to the preordained point that the will introduces himself to him as the enabling precondition of him being the fifth finger of the God hand, he doesn't have his own will. His dream is in service of this dark figure manipulating things from behind the scenes to encompass all of humanity in him rather than this other God, which we're presuming does exist as the Holy See believes it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think as well, I think it's after the point where he's reached his predestination to the idea of evil. I think it's after that point that he does have a certain s- touch more autonomy because Griffith, at the end of the day, he does want to make the world better. But like so many others in history who've wanted to do that, he's more than willing to leave mountains of corpses behind him to achieve that better world. It's yeah, like-
1: no, no utopia starts with monster gang rape.
0: Yeah, that's pretty nasty, but it's from like the idea that we get from the egg of a perfect world who ends up rebirthing Griffith at the end of the Conviction Arc. His wish when he received the bailiff and almost died being drowned by literally by corpses, being suffocated by them, was to become the egg that would birth the perfect world. And what is it that comes from that? It's Griffith, because Griffith at the end of the day, still, well, one, he's achieved ultimate power. He's literally a supernatural being second only to probably the idea of evil. We don't know what the hierarchy within the god hand is. It seems that, I forget his name, the brain Cenobite with his lips peeled back. It seems that he's the leader of them. I think his name's Vortex or something. But Griffith, we don't know how powerful they are compared to one another. I would imagine that Griffith is particularly powerful.
1: The interesting thing about that egg though is it comes back to what? the the catholic exorcist says is that if you are devoid of belief and virtue then you can only ever be the conduit or the vessel Mm. for another darker power and so the 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 egg that is a very pitiful figure that was dejected for how he looked and cast out and abused he doesn't have any ambition of his own only instead to be the gateway through which a darker more superior force can come to fruition and and so he is ripe for that possession by griffith
0: he was a pure product of his environment It's kind of in a similar way to Guts in that he seems to have been born of death and cast out into the world on his own, but he's missing what Guts had, not just the circumstances that Guts was born into where he happened to be picked up by a band of roving mercenaries. He also just doesn't have the will to survive that Guts does. Where Guts would see a challenge and stand up to it and go at it full force to the point where, you know, guts very often throughout this, if he's out of limbs to be able to use to throw a weapon or to defend himself, he will just bite down on something. He's willing to destroy himself purely to survive and get to the end of the day. This guy just gave up. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotusheaters.com.